And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking for fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we have come before you and before your word. Your word that is able to build us up. We ask that you would grant us the help of your spirit as I preach your word and as we listen to the preaching of your word. Help us to take heed how we hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. I have titled my sermon this morning, One More Year. One more year. The story of the nation of Israel is truly a fascinating story. I know today when we say the word Israel, one of the things we can think of is a nation that is engaged in, like some people would say, a struggle for survival. Uh, the, the, the events of last year will come to mind with all of the political tussle and, and even near war between Israel and Palestine, and the war for survival. But it, it hasn't always been this way. The nation of Israel, not as it is, as it is given in the Bible, uh, began with a man called Abraham. And God called Abraham and promised Abraham that he would form a nation out of him. Abraham gave birth to Isaac, Jacob, and this people who we read in our Bible reading were 70 got into Egypt. 70 people, Jacob and his family and Joseph and his family, they were in Egypt. And after some years, God moved them from Egypt to the promised land. And in the promised land, they began to cry for a king. And God gave them a king, a man named Saul. And it was in the time of Saul, David, and Solomon that we had the 12 tribes of Israel united as a nation. And after rebellion against God, God sent both, after they had divided the, the northern and the southern kingdom, into exile. If you read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, you see that the nation of Israel, part of them, actually came back from exile and settled in the land. But their struggles were not over. Conqueror after conqueror. At some point, the Greeks came through Alexander the Great and conquered, put a kind of rule over the land of Israel. Alexander the Great died, for those of us who know world history, and his kingdom was torn apart by his four generals. And they were constantly fighting, fighting, fighting. Then you had the Maccabees who were looking for uh, a kind of, they, they're trying to win back the nation, win independence back for the nation. And then the Romans came. And about 60 years before Christ was born, the Romans came back. They, they, they came, they pursued the Greek out of the equation, and they came into the picture. 
And some years later, they installed a man at the dominion called Herod the Great. His name is Herod. The Great is a, it's an added title to him. But later on, later on, we see that they had a Roman governor in the land of Israel. His name was Pilate. And Pilate was not friendly to the Jews. They didn't care about their customs, didn't care about their, their worship, their Passover, their feast. Pilate had nothing, no care about it. And then something happened. I'm giving you the context of this, uh, of this passage we just read. One time, some Galileans came to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. Luke doesn't give us full details. And it's possible, news got to Pilate, that these people are trying to cause trouble. They are rebels. And it was not, this is not strange. It was normal for the Roman government to crush opposition. Once you hear that a rebellion is forming in Israel, you crush it. And so Pilate sent his soldiers to the temple and they killed those men and their bloods were mixed. Their blood was mixed with the sacrifice there in the temple. And as Jesus was preaching, they came and asked him, those Galileans whom Pilate killed and mixed their blood with their offerings, were they sinners? And what these people had in mind was those men suffered because they had possibly some hidden sin. They probably had some things that were not out in the public. So just like Job's friends were said to Job, these people suffered because of their sins. And Jesus answered them. And he gave them even a different story added to that. The pool at around Siloam, there was a tower. And the tower fell and killed a number of people. And Jesus said, unless you repent, unless you repent, you shall likewise perish. That is the context in which Jesus gives this parable. Unless you repent, you shall likewise perish. A word concerning parables. Because there's a lot of misunderstanding as to how a parable should be interpreted or how a parable should be used. No school of thought says that uh, Jesus preached in parables and it made so much sense. Therefore, preaching on Sunday should not be in form of propositions. Why are you making claims? Why are you giving forth authoritative statements? Give us parables like Jesus. That's the way to get to the people. That uh, the attention span of the modern day man is not so much. If you preach for 30 minutes, you lose him. Give us parables. So these people say that parables are merely a preaching style. So this was Jesus' unique preaching style, which is not true, because even the Jewish rabbis employed parables. It is not true that parables were a style of preaching. So some people even have started doing this in many churches you go, and they have modern-day stories as parables. Another school of thought will say uh, that a parable is a simple way to present a complex truth. But that's also short of the purpose of parables. Because there are some parables Jesus gave, a parable that's really that simple, that the disciples had to come to him and say, please explain to us this parable. So there are parables Jesus gave that nobody understood. And Jesus had to re-explain it to them. So parables are not merely simple stories to explain complex truth. There's a truth there, but that's not it. 
All the parables of Jesus recorded for us in the Synoptic Gospels, because there's no parable in the book of John, about 40 of them, depending on how you're counting, is meant to each one of them to illustrate a spiritual truth. Not necessarily a complex, not necessarily whether it's simple or not, but to, to, to shed light, to throw more light upon a spiritual truth. And in the book of Luke, chapter 13, verse 6 to 9, Jesus gives a parable to shed light on the truth of repentance. On the lesson, the doctrine of repentance. And the parable before us this morning, there are three major characters that I want us to consider. In the first place, we have the fig tree. In the second place, we have the owner of the vineyard. And in the third place, we have the vine dresser. The ESV has already given us a title for, for the section of the parable of the vine fig tree. First of all, let us consider the fig tree. The first thing I want us to consider about the fig tree is that the fig tree is a fruit tree. There are different types of trees in the world. And every tree has its own purpose. You expect certain things from certain trees. It is only a troubled man or woman who will go to a Dogonian tree and say, I'm hungry, I want to eat. Because that tree is medicinal. That's the purpose of the tree. So there are different types of trees used for different types of things. Some trees are for shades. Some trees are for one or two things. They do multiple things at the same time. But the fig tree primarily was a fruit tree. Mark records this for us in Mark chapter 11. Jesus was walking one time with his disciples and he came upon a fig tree on the wayside. And this fig tree had leaves, many leaves. But when he came closer to it, he had no fruit. And the reason why Jesus caused the fig tree was given to us because it promised what it did not have. It had the blossoming leaves, but no fruits. Because fruits is expected of a fig tree. And the interesting thing about the fig tree is that it blossoms, it gives fruit at least maybe seven to eight months in a calendar year. So this was a, a tree that you could go most times in the year and find fruits on. But the second thing we must observe about this fig tree is it was a privileged tree. Jesus said this fig tree was found in a vineyard. Some of us know what a vineyard is. A vineyard is not where you plant fruits. A vineyard is primarily where you plant grapes. Where you plant grapes and get the grapes out and make wine. And a vineyard is not just where you plant grapes. A vineyard is a it's like a place carved out. And a well-kept vineyard is a beauty to behold. You can remember Ahab and Naboth. Ahab looked at this man's vineyard and coveted it. Not because there was a shortage of land per se in Israel. It was close to him, of course, but that was not the only one close to him. Because a vineyard is properly kept. It's, it's, it's not out in the public. It's not a general farm. Like, and we find this victory in the middle of the vineyard. This tree was privileged. You see, this tree enjoyed security. It was a first place, probably. And it was not on the wayside. Some of us who grew up in certain kinds of places, you know many trees are they are just on the wayside, not like in an estate like this one. But in some rural areas, or even some suburban areas, you see trees everywhere on the wayside. But this tree had security. So small small children will not be coming into the place to be plucking the fruits. This had security. More than just having security, this fig tree had 
a specific person attending to it. This tree had a vine dresser attending to it right in the vineyard. Think about this for a moment. The mango trees you climbed when you were young, who tended to them? But he brought out fruit. He didn't. Many of the golden trees, the purple trees you see around, they are some at, at, at the front of the estate. Who, who, who takes care of them? Most times nobody. But this tree had privileged. This tree fared better than many of the trees in Israel. But there was a problem with this tree. It was barren. Despite all of the privileges that it was enjoying. I remember when I was in the university, when I got into the university, I, I got into the Department of Computer Science. And in the first year, we began to do some programming. And I did not have a laptop. And so I would borrow some of my friends' laptops to run my codes. And I'll be saying, God, these people, you have money to buy a laptop, yet you cannot program anything. You can't do anything with this laptop. How you are so lazy? You have a laptop like this and you're watching film on it. In my third year, I got my laptop. Ask me what I developed in the first year. Nothing. Nothing. I had all the privilege. There was school Wi-Fi, had a smartphone, had a laptop, had materials upon materials. You could go to YouTube, download, and I did nothing with it. That's abuse of privilege. This fig tree was bad. There was nothing on the fig tree for the landowner. I want you to imagine this. How do you feel when you put your efforts into something for a number of years and there's no return? How do you feel? Give me a classic, a classic example. I was in a home some, some years back. I hope this doesn't happen here. And a mother told her son, say you are wasting my money. I put you in school, good private school. I clothe you for free. I have your clothes. I feed you. I even got extra lesson for you, yet you cannot pass them. And what her mother was saying was, despite all the effort I have put into you, you are fruitless. Despite all the resources that I have spent upon you, you are barren. Friends, this victory had no excuse to be barren. No excuse at all. The fault was not from the landowner. The fault was not from the vine dresser. The fault was from the fig tree. The fig tree was the problem. Nobody was cutting firewood from the fig tree. It wasn't on the wayside. No children were climbing up the fig tree and spoiling it and making it look dirty. No, it was in a good place. It wasn't left unattended to. It had a vine dresser whose job was to take care of that fig tree. Who is the fig tree? First of all, Jesus is primarily referring to the Jewish nation. Because the Jewish nation, God took them out of the barren land of Egypt and planted them in the fruitful land of Canaan. And God was expecting that they would bear fruit. This is what Jesus was saying to those Jews who were asking about the people that had and killed. What is your own fruit? What is the fruit of repentance? But Jesus is also talking to the professing Christian. The professing Christian is the person who says I'm a Christian. When you get to feel the form, you put Christian. You come to church on Sunday, you say, I am a Christian. 
You put it on, on your, you have a bumper sticker at the back of your car, front of your car, and you put, I am a Christian. Glory be to God, glory to God on higher. And Jesus is speaking to the professing Christian. Let me say this with all seriousness this morning. If you are listening to the sound of my voice, whether physically or online, you are privileged. If you are able to leave your houses and come to church this morning, you are privileged. To be in a place where the word of God is preached, you are privileged. To be under the means of grace, to partake of the Lord's table and enjoy the spiritual presence of Christ, you are privileged. Because there are many people who are genuinely saved who don't have the same privileges as you do. There are people who are looking for churches to attend. There are people who don't even have the opportunity to leave their houses and peacefully get to a place of worship. You are privileged. Sometimes you don't think this to be privileged. You think they are just normal things. These are privileges. Is it not sad then to see that despite all of these privileges, there are people who call themselves Christians that are yet barren? Is it not troubling to see that despite all of these enjoyments, this tender care, this fencing, this security provided for many of us who call ourselves Christians, we are still barren, fruitless. So I want you to ask yourself this morning, it's a new year, am I bearing fruit? Have I been bearing fruit? Am I barren? Am I barren? The second character we must observe is the landowner who appears to us in verse 7. The Bible tells us that on one faithful day, this landowner came into the place. Look at verse 7. And he said to the vine dresser, Look for three years now. Observe his patience. For three years now. This was not an insensitive landowner. He had been waiting for three years, for fruit, for three years. Look at the species. Let me give you an example of this. Some of us here cannot invest our money for six months and sleep well. Every morning you wake up, you bring out your phone and you check your online wallet. What is, what is it dipping? Is it going up? I don't think that's investment. But what is happening? What is happening? And there are many of us after one month have been there. You see, cat man, this thing doesn't look trustworthy. Remove your money. Then at the end of six months, when others are getting the fruit of their labor, and I say, I wish I did. I did that at that time. Because we're not patient people. But look at this landowner being patient with this tree for three years. Listen what he says. I've been coming every year for three years. It's not as if I came three years ago. I've been coming. So he was coming regularly to the vineyard to look for fruit. And for three years, no fruit. Then look at his command. He says, cut it down. Cut it down. Cut it down. The time is up for this victory. There's no extra yet. If for the past three years I have been coming to this fig tree and I have not been able to find fruit for my family to sell and make money, cut it down. Today is a time of judgment. He says, place the axe at the root of that tree and cut it down. Friends, Abused privileges will become lost privileges. Privileges that God has given to you that you are abusing and you're not bearing fruit in light of will become lost privileges. 
The problem with us, the problem with man is that we think we have time. We will get another year. Talk to somebody, random person on the street. Why are you not doing this now? Oh, I'm waiting for January to come. I'm waiting for this time to come. When that time comes, I will put that time. I mean, do you have the divine calendar on your smartphone to see that you would actually be able to do this then? I will take this to spiritual matters. In October, are you reading your Bible? Oh no, the Bible plan I used failed. I'm waiting for January. This is January 16th. At least you should be in Genesis chapter 12. You should be, assuming you don't read on weekends, you should be in Genesis chapter 12. Are you doing it? Oh no, I'm still looking for a devotional. You see, the Bible plan itself is not enough. So I'm sampling Spurgeon's devotional, I'm sampling Alistair Beck's devotional, Oswald Chambers. We, we, we have plans. We have plans. We will do it. Yeah, we have time. And next month, next week, we will do it. We will do it. I think probably this future we have plans. Huh? And maybe, you see, for three years, I just want to look fine. I don't want anybody to disturb me. Let me stay on my own. Let me enjoy freedom. If I start bearing fruits now, every week they will come and be lucky, remove it, and everything will be scattered. He had plans too. But the time came for judgment. You see, the only reason why this fig tree would escape judgment is if it's fruit bearing. Bear. Dear Christian, dear professor, the only way you would escape the judgment from God is if you bear fruit. It is not enough to say, I am a Christian, if there is no fruit. There is no point there. It's not enough, see, there's no point. In fact, moving your whole body, dressing like a Christian, talking like a Christian, if you are not a Christian. And look at the question of this vine dresser in verse, verse 7. He says, why should it use up the ground? Why should it use up the ground? The ESV translates it well, but doesn't carry the weight, the forcefulness. Because in the original Greek, the word for use of is it, 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 weighty. I think the CSB translates it better. The CSB says, why should it even waste the soil? So the unfruitful tree is not just passive. We have this idea, now let me now, who are they, who are they, who are they offended? It's me and myself, oh, I am on my own. I just go to the church, I listen to the message, and I come back, I mark my register, I'm on my own. Every other person doesn't concern me. But you know what? The master is saying that the fig tree is wasting the ground. In the first place, it is using of the soil. Because the space where the fig tree currently occupies, you can mark that tree get out there and make, make food for your family make something to sell in the market. The space where it was occupying, you could have planted two, three, maybe four other trees, and it would bring produce. It was using up the soil. But it was also using up the nutrients of the soil. When you plant a tree, usually the roots go deep and look for where there is water and nutrients. So imagine all that trees around it, and this fig tree is using up the nutrients that it would have used. Using up the soil, eating, taking what would have been available for the other trees. If you are a professing Christian this morning and you are not bearing fruit, you are causing harm. You are causing harm to the church and the members. You are not just a passive observer. You are positively causing harm. I remember when this place had not been broken down, when we had this space as the overflow and this as the main wall. 
One day my phone rang in the middle of service. It was Essie. Essie called me. I said, man, people here are not hearing. And I went out of the church and I came in and I saw something happened in the settings and the speakers. speaker here was not working. Now, if you were in the congregation that day, you're using up the space that some of those people would have used. Mm-hmm. And if you are a mere professor, you are making use of what others will benefit from. You are sitting on a chair that somebody would sit on. You are going to eat bread and drink wine that somebody else would have used. You are going to eat up resources that somebody else would have used and borrowed food from. But more than that, you are causing harm to yourself. You are causing harm to your own soul. Let us perish these thoughts that we have time. That there is a time to repent. That's nonsense. There is no time. And we have time. We have time. We have, I mean, it's, it's a new year. And some of us have plans fixed in every month of the year to December. Who told you you have such time? Pastor Deboye last year lost his son. Do you think he knew it at the start of the year? Pastor Dukoya lost his wife. Do you think he knew it at the start of the year? When January, today is 16th of January, I can count people who have died. Just last week, Aloha Akala, the former governor of Oyo State, died. Ellen Shonikon, the former uh, interim head of state, died. And people are dying. People died yesterday. There is no time. If you are a professing Christian with no fruits, let me say this to you point blank, you have no grace in your soul. And so you have no time. You have no time. We are very fond of ignoring spiritual things in our life. We'd rather go to church and have somebody tell us the things that will tingle our ears. You see people who are raising up their hands, receiving blessings, and shouting their loudest hallelujah, whose souls are in danger of hell. Friends, one of the most dangerous things is to go out of the door of the church straight into hell. What is the state of your soul? What is the state of your soul? Is there fruit? What is the fruit of repentance from sin and faith in God? What is the fruit of your zeal for Christ and for His work? What is your hunger for Christ and for His word? What is your obedience to the word of God? Where is the fruit? Where? There's no time. Don't think you have time. The axe is being laid at the foot of the tree. Will you remain fruitless, my dear friends? Let us observe, lastly, the vine dresser. Verse 8, the vine dresser answered the landowner, Sir, let it alone this year also. The vine dresser pleads for more time. One more year. That's what the vine dresser says. One more year. He pleads for more grace. This fig tree had enjoyed grace for three years because the fact that judgment had not come year one, year two, year three was grace. And here, the vine dresser typifying Christ is asking for more time. Please, one more year. Give him 2022, one more year. Yes, I know there has not been fruit for the past 10 years. He has been in church, maybe, 
or he has been coming to church for three years, he has a Christian name, he has Christian friends, he goes to Christian events, he's regular at church, I mean, he cleans the church, he does a lot of things, he, he doesn't have real food, but give him one more year. That's what the vinegar asks for. One more year. Be careful. Because we might come here and think, oh, one more year means a full year, but this is a parable. What he's asking is for more time. For you, it might be one more month, but I think it could be one more day, one more hour, one more hour, just a little bit of more time, one more year. That's what the vine dresser asks for. But when you're just asking for one more year, the vine dresser makes a promise. He says, Look at this thing. He says, I will dig around it and put on manure. So, not just for just, just one, I will, I will take it to work, I will, I will go around the roots, I will dig around it, maybe there are things preventing it from growing, I will pull it out, and I will add manure, and I will tend to it more. Professor, you are listening to one more sermon, that's grace to you. Fruitless, Christian, you are here in one more service, that's grace to you. Christ is extending grace to you. You know what he will do sometimes? He will give you afflictions. He will give you some of these things to awaken you to the seriousness of your condition that judgment has, has, has been given already. But Christ is interceding and saying, one more year. I will, I, will, I will walk around him. Let him go to a few more services. I will give him faithful preaching. I will give him a faithful pastor. I will give him the opportunity to hear the gospel over and over and over again. But note that the vineyards are also agreed with the master. He says, if it should not bear fruit, you can cut it down. So the extension of time is just a, a little postponement of judgment. If at the end of the extra year, there is no fruit, that tree will be cut down. No negotiations, nothing about that. The time asked for is just one more year. We have alluded to, alluded to several things this morning. But let's pick it all together. You see, a new year is an opportunity to reflect upon our lives. But do you know one thing we often do in the new year? We reflect on goals. Just goals. You meet a Christian. What has your reflection been from the past year? Huh, well, I wanted to start my business. I couldn't start my business. And you're listening. Waiting for the person to get to the point where he talks about the state of his soul. Waiting for the person to get to the point where he talks about the health of his soul, his spiritual vitality. And very often you don't hear that at all. Okay, what are your plans for the new year? You hear a lot of things. I plan in the first quarter to achieve this, to go for my master's, to do my PhD, to apply for this loan, to do this. What about the state of your soul? Why do we seem to think that the thing that matters in every year is the amount of money we make, or the extra cash we're able to put in our pockets, or the amount of things we check out of our to-do list? Why do we seem to think that the essence of a new year is mainly to reflect on failures of the past year and then just plan to make more successes in the new year? What is the state of your soul? That's the opportunity every new year affords us to reflect. Am I bearing fruit? You see, fruit bearing is not something that is an addendum to the Christian. Fruit bearing is an essential marker of a Christian. It's not something 
uh, the way we call it the second blessing that comes upon the Christian when he receives the Holy Spirit later on and then he begins to no, 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 no. The moment you are saved, how did Paul put it in Romans chapter 7, verse 4? He says, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the Lord through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may, we may bear fruits for God. One was saying, the reason why you have been set free from the law is to bear fruit. You have been saved. You claim to be saved. Where is the fruit? Jesus said something in Matthew chapter 7. I think it's quite helpful. Verse 16, he says, You recognize them, talking about false prophets, by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from some bushes? Or figs from thistles, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the deceased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a deceased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you recognize them by their fruits. False prophets bear fruits according to what they profess, according to who they are. And those who are Christians indeed, who are God's people, who have been saved, will bear fruits. If you're not bearing fruits, then you don't know Christ. I'm not talking about the size of the fruits. If you have no fruit in your life, you have no portion in Christ. You have no fruit in your life. You have no portion in Christ. Where's your sorrow for sin? Where's your daily self-denial to follow Christ? Where is it? Where's the fruit of the Spirit? Where's the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, long-suffering? Where's the, the, uh, the faithfulness? Where is it? Where's self-control? Where is it? If it is not there, then you don't have Christ. If it is not there, you don't have Christ. And I speak to you this morning, fruitless professor, fruitless Christian, it has been established that you have no fruit. You are fruitless. It has been established that you are encumbering the ground like the ears, the KJV puts it. It has been established that you are wasting soil. But it has also been established that the, 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 the axe is at the root of the tree. That judgment is coming if you don't turn to Christ. Why should you perish? Why should you perish? Why should you go another year and not consider the state of your soul? Why should you go on making money, accomplishing things, having edifices built up for you, doing things, and you don't know Christ and you want to What Christ was telling these folks that were speaking to him was simple. Repentance is what God expects from you. And he's giving you another year to repent. To put your faith in Christ is what God expects from you. See, don't, don't come at, because we say a lot of things. Don't say, I've been in church for 10 years and so. I've been preaching the gospel for 50 years and so. If you have no fruit, you're not a Christian. Forget it. If you have no fruit, you're not a Christian. And I implore you this morning to turn to Christ. There is judgment coming. Turn to Christ. 
You know what he did on the cross? He died so that the wrath of God can be lifted from the heads of those who would put their faith in him. He gave up his life. He became man so that based on his sacrifice, judgment, not just to be postponed, will be taken off forever for those who put their faith in him. That's why he died. Would you put your faith in Christ? Why should you perish? Why should you perish? But I want to also speak to us, the Christians, who say, I'm a Christian. I'm going to make an application to you this morning. Are you bearing fruit in accordance to your privileges? Are you bearing fruit in accordance to your privileges? See, I'm very grateful to be in the city of Abuja today. I never planned to come to Abuja, for those of you who know me. I never, I, I, I never knew a church called Trinity Baptist Church. I had no idea. In fact, I didn't even know who GB was. I knew somebody in Joss, Daniel. I didn't know who Pastor Abutu was. I didn't know there was anything like a church plant or Kabata Baptist Church. I knew none of those things. I'm very grateful to be in a biblical church. But sometimes when I look at us, not just here, but in other biblical churches across the country, I am forced to ask, is that all? Is that all? Okay, we are blessed speaking in tongues. We no longer fall under the anointing. Is that all? I'm asking, is that all? I no longer pay my first food. Is that all? Okay, and I listen to Facebook preaching, and I know MacArthur, we don't even call Piper again, and I know Bonnie Buckham, I know some of these people. Is that all? And I know Calvin, and all, and I do this, is that all? In light of all the privileges that you are enjoying, Christian, where is the fruit? In light of all these things that God has blessed you with, oh, we are so blessed. God will open our eyes to see how blessed we are. I was talking with a brother yesterday, and he said, I have this amazing stuff on my phone, it's soft copy, and I use it sometimes. I mean, you have this, you have a mobile device, you can go to monetizing, you can read some of so, so I was reading Samuel Rutherford around midnight, and I was just blown. And I said, look at privileges God has made available for us. Where is the fruit in accordance with that privilege? Let's not just carry a name, we are reformed, we are biblical. Let's not just be making noise on social media. <laughs> Let us turn to Christ this morning. Let us turn to him. Ask him. Ask him because fruits bearing can only come as a result of his work in our souls. All that will be bear fruit in accordance with our privileges. Please bow your heads and talk to Christ this morning. And ask him for help. He has given us one more year. He has. He has extended grace to us. In light of our fruitlessness the past years, he has given us one more year. Would we go on being fruitless? Oh, unsaved man, unsaved woman, unsaved boy and girl. Oh, ask him to save you. A saved Christian, all for grace.